0: TED Audio Collective. Hi everyone, it's Madupe. We have something different for you today. Fixable, Ted's Business Call-in Show, is back. Francis Fry is a Harvard Business School professor. Anne Morris is a CEO and best-selling author. Anne and Francis are two of the top leadership coaches in the world. Did I mention they're also married to each other? Together, Anne and Frances move fast and fix stuff by talking to guest callers about their workplace issues and solving their problems in 30 minutes or less. Listeners and guests will receive actionable insights to create meaningful change in the workplace. If you want to be on Fixable, you can call the hotline to leave Ann and Francis a voicemail with your workplace problem. That number is 234 Fixable. That's 234 349 2253. And you can listen to Fixable wherever you're listening to this podcast.
1: Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Fixable. I'm Ann Morris. I'm a company builder and a leadership coach. And I'm Frances Fry. I'm a Harvard Business School professor, and I'm Ann's wife. We hope you had a great summer break. We had a great summer break. Frances, is that a fair statement? Oh, we
2: certainly did. We certainly did. What was the highlight for you? I think the highlight was going to the beach. Fishing, <laughs> swimming, and by fishing, I mean watching our boys fish, Yes, <laughs> swimming, yep. mostly watching our boys <laughs> swim. Mm-hmm. But we, we moved as a, uh, as a family unit in a really wonderful and joy-sparking way.
1: Yeah, I think the memory I'm going to hold on to is, is the joy of the fish coming out of the water yes. on the end of some makeshift hook. <laughs> uh.
2: Followed by delight of our children. I don't know that there's anything that causes more delight in their lives right now than catching a fish.
1: And throwing it back and catching another. Uh, But we've also been hard at work putting together a brand new batch of fixable episodes for you. I'm I'm really excited about the second half of this season. We're gonna be tackling some fascinating stuff over the next few weeks, including how to set boundaries as a leader, how to authentically promote yourself on social media, what to do about automation anxiety, and and a lot more.
2: Oh, automation anxiety is going to be really good. Today's episode is a good one, too. In fact, it's pretty special, wouldn't you say?
1: I would use the word special. Uh, I'm a little bit biased,
2: but uh, tell the people what we're up to today, Francis. Oh, we're not going to have a caller today, and that's because we need the entire episode, and we're going to talk about how to build and rebuild trust.
1: Yeah, it's something we've thought a lot about, written a lot about. It's it's really at the core of our work. And here's the thing, it's often talked about at this mushy, <laughs> esoteric level that's not particularly actionable. And so today we really want to drill down and not only make the case for why trust is so critical uh, in any organization, but also give people a really solid foundation for how to build trust, what are the mechanics of trust, and what do you do when it gets lost?
2: In fact, our hope is after this single episode, everyone knows how to build and rebuild trust in a really pragmatic way.
1: You and I do two kinds of work, at least. The first is what we sometimes refer to casually as firefighting. So there's a company or organization that is in some kind of crisis and we get the phone call and we show up quickly and roll up our sleeves and join the team in fighting the fire. We also help organizations that are trying to reach a very ambitious goal to... More often than not, shorten that timeline, yeah, or otherwise get there faster and better. Yeah, is it fair to say that Uber was in the first camp?
2: <laughs> uh, the reason I laugh is because it was so obvious then. Like this was 2017, right? There are some people that won't have known, but very cleanly in the front pages of the newspaper, the whole world knew it had a crisis.
1: And so, what what the, what the hell were we thinking? <laughs> How did we end
2: up? Uh, as part of the story. Well, a main protagonist is Megan Verna Joyce. Let's just name her, (laughs) which is uh, a grad of HBS. She wasn't my student, but she came back to talk to me after she graduated. And she's like, I work for Uber. Um, Would you be willing to come and talk to our CEO, Travis Kelnick? And I said, Megan, No. (laughs) <laughs> mm-hmm. And and I only help good people who win. I've never met Travis, but what I have read in the newspaper, it's not even like ambiguous. Um, and what was the nature of the crisis the, for people who don't remember? Um, they were many, but it was the press reporting on a horrific uh, sequence of events of sexual harassment. The Delete Uber campaign mm-hmm. happened, which is when riders banded together and were so upset with how Uber was treating drivers that they had a delete Uber campaign. Um, there was how Uber behaved during a taxi strike. Their relationship with regulators was terrible. So that it just was a perfect storm of public events that gave light to what was going on privately. And yeah. Megan, she was like, there's limited information in the newspaper. Mm. Um, if you could do me the kindness of flying out and meeting with him, I would be super grateful. And Megan could do anything. Mm -hmm. And she was choosing to work for Uber, largely because of Travis, largely Mm -hmm. because of the CEO. And so I said yes. And what was that first meeting with Travis like? Oh my gosh. So, you know, I had the flight back on the same day, right? I was (laughs) going to, it was an hour meeting or 90 minute meeting. I allowed it two hours and I was taking the red eye home. And- I got there and, and met him. And first of all, I was just wasn't expecting how boyish and earnest and super quick and bouncy that he was. Mm. And he was so affable and made me feel very welcome. And we just got down to business. And so he was drawing on the whiteboard. Um And then here's what I really liked about him. There was turn-taking. And then Mm. I was drawing on the whiteboard. Mm. And then he was, and then we both were. And if I could play the piano and he could play the piano, it was as if it was a duet. (laughs) And so that one or two-hour meeting, it lasted three days. Mm. I changed my flight home five times. And what was on the whiteboard? Oh, everything from the business model to the multi-stakeholders, drivers, riders, regulators, board, employees, management, and what the value propositions were for them, the economics that were the organization was competing within. Um, and he was like, what else? Come on, I don't believe those are all your questions. And so we went after everything. And I'm like, look, Travis, I read the newspaper and it sounds like you are a tyrant. Help me understand why would reasonable people think that and tell me why it's not true.
1: I want to pause here for a second and look at the challenges of Uber through the lens of trust, which is the topic of today's conversation.
2: Yeah. So Uber had lost trust with every single major stakeholder. Employees, riders, drivers, regulators, owners, leaders. Key groups
1: of employees. Every
2: single stakeholder. And everyone loved the idea of Uber, but wow, were they unhappy.
1: And if you go one layer down on your own diagnosis of the problem, yeah. what, what's the headline story? Well, the headline on was- on wh- yeah. Why Trust was breaking down. Yeah.
2: Well, the headline was they had problems with like an emotional blockade- That wasn't permitting things to go through. So even when the logic made sense, there was still an emotional blockade.
3: And then,
1: in the case of drivers, for example, the absence of empathy around what it was really taking to feed your family in the gig economy was getting in the way of designing a viable
2: job for drivers and even more specific, like small things, like they were like, why do you send me in the opposite direction of my home when it's my last ride?
1: Right. Right.
2: <laughs> like, And so, and the drivers had all kinds of reasonable ideas, which were entirely implemented within like five minutes of a work because none of them were hard, but we just hadn't focused on it. Yeah. And it just felt like what we had seen so many times, it felt like trust.
1: Yeah. And we talk about as a foundation of leadership, because it is the thing that allows me to be willing to be guided by you. Yeah. And this was the problem at Uber at this moment in time. It was an example of how a lack of trust with a range of stakeholders could bring a company to its knees. And then how do you rebuild that trust? It's not about trust falls or company retreats. It's about real thoughtful step by step work that anyone can learn. And Francis, it's what you had to do with the company to real success, which we'll talk a little bit more about at the end of the episode.
2: Yeah, and and I'll just add that I hope it's clear from this story that the stakes of getting this right could not be higher. I mean, trust is everything. It's the foundation of all human progress. Yeah. Too strong? No.
1: <laughs> I don't no. think so, right? No, like, I mean it's the foundation for everything we do. Is it means foundation for our
2: marriage, for the economy uh, when we buy stock, yep. when we, you know, like w- whether or not we can trust one another, whether or not we can trust our systems. In the absence of trust, we relitigate again and again and again. It's like being in quicksand, and we can make almost no progress, and it takes a really long time. In the presence of trust. Holy Toledo, things can move really fast and things can go much higher.
0: This show is brought to you by Schwab. You're here because you like to keep a pulse on trends in technology. Well, now you can invest in what's trending Schwab Investing Themes is not intended to be investment advice or a recommendation of any stock or investment strategy. Learn more at schwab.com slash thematic investing.
3: Hey, Ted Business listeners, we're supported by our friends at Working Smarter, a new podcast from Dropbox exploring the exciting potential of AI in the workplace. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
4: Add a little curiosity into your routine with TED Talks Daily, the podcast that brings you a new TED Talk every weekday. In less than 15 minutes a day, you'll go beyond the headlines and learn about the big ideas shaping your future. Coming up, how AI will change the way we communicate, how to be a better leader, and more. Listen to TED Talks Daily wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Let's get into the mechanics of trust because you and I think about this all day. We talk about it all day. Um, And I think you go one layer deeper, which is what's really driving trust. And there's a very
2: stable pattern. So describe the pattern. So the stable pattern is that when we see trust between two people, we always, always, always observe three specific dynamics. And anytime we don't see trust between two people, one of those three is missing. So you are more likely to trust me if you experience that it's the real me in it for you with rigorous logic. So you are more likely to trust me if you experience my authenticity, my empathy, and my logic. The real me in it for you with a rigorous plan that is worthy of your trust. <laughs> right. So Francis, what is this this wobble <laughs> that we talk so much about? It it's when it's when either authenticity, logic, or empathy gets in the way and is shaky between two constituents. So for example, the drivers at Uber did not think that the company was like really in it for them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so right. they didn't believe in the company's empathy towards them. They Mm -hmm. believed that the company was being authentic. And maybe even they believed in the rigor of the plan, but they didn't think that they were a key constituent in it. Whereas they saw the riders were a very key constituent. So they were like, okay, Uber, you have the capacity in our eyes to display empathy. You're just not displaying it towards us. And that is guaranteed to put quicksand instead of a solid foundation.
1: Excellent. Um, What's
2: your wobble, baby? (laughs) I have an empathy wobble, uh, which is, in 2023, the most common wobble by our estimates of people that we work with around the world. It's 60% or greater people have uh, empathy wobbles. What's a recent example of when you wobbled on empathy? Oh, goodness. Um, Yesterday, I was in a meeting with a team that had various stakeholders. Every one of them was there to be helpful to us. Every one of them. And one of the stakeholders was not performing as pristinely as I wanted. And I was so quick to impatience. And my impatience, I think, oh, you know, I'll just be impatient, but no one will notice. (laughs) And here's a public service announcement to empathy wobblers. We know your empathy is wobbling when you're speaking. And we definitely know your empathy is wobbling when you're not speaking. So I was non-verbally. Impatient with someone whose entirety of their job is there to uh, help set us up for success. Amanda, I'm sorry, and I'll and I'll apologize to you directly. <laughs> um, my wobble is not empathy. No, you're as we like to call an empathy anchor, which is folks, empathy wobblers out there. Yeah, marry team up, up. team up, <laughs> marry up, whatever up. But oh. go, go find yourself. Empathy anchors. Yeah. The,
1: the bad news is that we all have wobbles. There's <laughs> no shame in it. No. The good news is that we also have anchors. Yeah. So one of these three drivers of trust
2: is rock solid. Literally, my logic yep. is always there. And my authenticity is sound. My empathy, you put little sticky notes to remind me of my empathy. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> what would somebody in a room observe if they saw your authenticity wobble? Um
1: here's a recent example. I'm an excellent bedtime valet <laughs> to our children. You really are. And one of our sons basically said he was ready for his turndown service <laughs> uh, the other night. And I said, great, I'll be there in five minutes. And uh, he said, no, you won't. I was like, oh, yeah, I just got to, I just got to, you know, wipe the counter down. He's like, no, you're gonna like, you're gonna let the dogs out, and you're gonna, you know, do the dishes, and you're gonna. It's not gonna be five minutes. It's gonna be fifteen minutes. Stop saying things that
2: don't that aren't right. And are it authentically was authentically true. It
1: was my empathy anchor kicking in, knowing what he wanted to hear, and and giving it to him. But it was at the expense of my authenticity, and so uh, there was a there was a trust nick that happened in that moment. It's such a beautiful example. All right, so I want to start to get into fixes, and let's start with logic, since it's relatively neutral territory for us.
2: Francis, what is a logic wobble, and what can you do if you have one? Yeah, so first, I just want to tell you the good news. If you're a logic wobbler, it's the easiest one to solve. I think <gasps> Shocking. It w- and I think it'll be solved by the time you're done listening to this episode. So if I don't think you have a rigorous plan, I'm not going to trust you. So... How do we fix a logic wobble? Well, the first thing is to realize that logic wobbles come in two forms. One form is that you might doubt my logic when I actually have great logic. And this one is tragic. And it's because the way in which I choose to communicate my logic doesn't give you access to it. Mm. My logic is great. It's just my communication style that has to change. So the first logic wobble we call a style wobble, a communication style wobble. Don't go to the library to get more rigorous. <laughs> right. Just change the way in which you communicate. So in our experience doing this work, most logic
1: wobblers are stylistically wobbling well on logic. of three quarters. Yeah.
2: So if, if that's my self-diagnosis, how do I fix it? Oh, goodness. So, um, you know, when I like take you on a winding road and I give you a few paragraphs and then I get to the point and it's like beautiful storytelling. Well, beautiful storytelling only works on top of logic. So if people are doubting your logic, start with the point, headline first, and then give supporting evidence. Um,
1: is so the, if I know that my exposure in moments of stress or. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, I tend to get wobbly on logic. Um, one simple fix is to, when I'm communicating my ideas, start with
2: the point first. Yeah. And I will just say for those of you for whom this is an issue, I get it why you want to delay your point because you want to like assert your credibility. You want to give all kinds of context and, and, and you're warming the audience. No up. bad parts. No bad yeah. parts. You're warning, warming the audience up and you're warming yourself up. And I just want to say you have to do the unnatural act of begin with your point and then give the supporting evidence. And oh, my gosh, you're going to be like, people are no longer questioning my logic. It works like magic. Beautiful.
1: Okay. When you do see logic substantively getting wobbly uh, in the workplace, what tends to be going on?
2: So one of my favorite singers in the world is Cheryl Wheeler. Cheryl Wheeler wrote a song called Frequently Wrong, But Never in Doubt. That's a substance wobble. So you'll never have a substance wobble if you just speak confidently about what you know well. Substance wobbles come out to play when you speak just as confidently about things you don't know well, got it. And so, w- you know, so the prescription—it's gonna—it's a little—it's just as easy to state. Make sure you know something well before you speak with confidence. So either delay, right, <laughs> or lower your confidence. I love that. I I I feel like we saw a lot of that happening
1: over the last few years around the question of COVID policy. Oh my gosh! So we would have so em- much confidence. We have employees <laughs> basically say. To management, when will COVID end? Which was not, which was an understandable question. Yeah. The shocking part was that we would have managers answer the question. Um, and I think
2: there are two prescriptions there. Lower your confidence, which we didn't really think anyone knew. But then when someone says they do know, well, then we are going to start doubting everything you say. Right. Because we don't know when to trust your confidence. I, I feel like you have some beautiful
1: phrases to lower Confidence yeah. and still communicate what
2: you have to say. Here's my initial thought. This is my hypothesis. Mm. Mm-hmm. That's all I got to do. It's yeah. it's rarely more than five words. Mm-hmm. This is what I think. But this is I'll, what I think. I want to go confirm. Yeah. the data. That's okay. why I like to say this is my initial thought, as mm-hmm. opposed to this is what I think, because that one could be great. Yeah, nice, nice. Um, I like that. Yeah, great. This is my current hypothesis. This mm-hmm. is my current hypothesis. Yep. You can go say anything
1: you want then. I think a fair answer is also, I don't know, but this is the process I'm going to follow to get to the answer. All right, let's move on to empathy Mm. because we are in the age of empathy wobbles. Yes. Because I'm looking at an empathy wobbler. I do feel like it's important to share that there are some demographic tendencies in empathy wobblers and that you people, (laughs) and I'm saying it with so much love and affection. I feel it with love and affection tend to be the traditionally smartest, most analytical, fastest processors in a room. Yes. We're super speedy processors. You're super speedy processors. Um, Let me give you an example of where I feel like empathy wobblers are on flamboyant display, which is in a meeting, which is where we are all spending so much of our time. So if I were to follow you into a meeting in a moment where you were not particularly self-aware and I were to chart your engagement (laughs) in the meeting, I would say it would peak pretty early.
2: Super early. Uh,
1: Because you, you got it. Yeah. And you, you maybe got it before most of the other people in the meeting. Yeah. And I'm at like
2: right the moment, right before I get it, I'm at peak engagement. And then what happens, Francis? <laughs> well, the second I get it, my engagement plummets. Yeah, and we see that a lot. Yeah, yeah. and then it, frankly, and then it flatlines, and it flatlines until the meeting mercifully comes to an end. Yeah, when we
1: call it the arc of the super smart or ass for short. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and then you know you'd think, well, wow, am I suffering privately? No, we're
1: not. (laughs) We're not wondering that, Francis, because you are (laughs) that's what I mean by flamboyant display. You are using every nonverbal cue to tell us that you are fucking done with this meeting. You're multitasking, you're fidgeting. Arms crossed. Yeah, yeah. Like you're 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 not happy. Yeah. So if I were to inject empathy, oh yeah, into Francis Fry, Empathy Wobbler, in this meeting, I think what we would see is that that level of engagement stays high.
2: Yeah. So I'd get it just as quickly. I think this is a good public service announcement. The presence of empathy does not make us less smart, less speedy. (laughs) So, um, but yeah, I'd stay deeply engaged. Until the last among us gets it. Yeah. It's like a beautiful educator. Yeah. And what does that look like? Oh. I mean, it sounds like
1: beautiful poetry, but what does it actually like practically look like?
2: Oh, so like I'm observing, what are the pebbles that are getting in the way? Yeah. And I might ask a sort of artful question that will surface the pebble and then let someone else come in yeah. and swoop in with a beautiful prescription to the answer. So without anyone really knowing it, we just accomplished so much in so little time, and my fingerprints aren't even on it. Yeah. Or I'll be listening to someone who I know well, and I know that they love to garden. And we're doing something, and I can just see they're not catching this example. I'll use a gardening analogy. Boom, they get it immediately. Yeah, yeah. What, What's your shorthand for coaching people on Empathy Wobbles? It's to be present in the presence of other people. Yeah. It's so liberating to just have it be that. And that if I can't be present, video off.
1: Yeah. (laughs) All right, let's fix my authenticity wobble. a pleasure, baby.
2: What's my first move? Uh, The first move is to just realize that it's the hardest one to fix, and you can't fix it alone. I know you don't like that. I don't like where we're starting. All right. Well, here's the thing about authenticity. If I'm going to show up authentically in front of a group of people, it's naive to think what the group of people does is immaterial think about how much easier everyone else in the room can make it for me to show up as my authentic self. And what's the headline on what that kind of work looks like? Uh, Oh, First, realize that the comfort showing up as yourself is not equally distributed throughout the world. So if I am in the majority for whatever that is, if I'm in the majority, it's so much easier for me to show up as myself. But if I represent a small, minuscule bit of difference, so much harder. So I think the first thing is to acknowledge that we don't have equal access to comfort showing up as ourselves, and that it changes as we change with the majority to the minority, mm-hmm. right? So being queer, <laughs> right? I can't. It's going to be really hard for me to be authentic in. A country where it's illegal to be gay, just frankly why I don't go to them, <laughs> because right. I won't feel safe. So I think safety is the first thing. Everyone else in the room has to make sure that each person that walks in the door, are they reasonably feeling safe?
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Once you check that off, are they reasonably feeling welcome? You know, when I walk in the room, I look it up and like people are vying for me to sit next to them. I'm welcome. They're smiling. So it's safe then welcome. And then it gets really interesting. And now it is, is my unique contribution sought after? So what if I can answer a question that comes uniquely from my lived experience or uniquely from my, you know, you ask me something about Uber and no one else knows about Uber in the room. You're now you know, celebrating my unique experience. Mm-hmm. My authenticity is just going to flourish. Mm-hmm. So we want to really set the conditions for unique contributions to come forward. Um, and then we want to make sure that we can do that at scale. And I feel like you think about it at scale better than I do.
1: Yeah, I mean, you're describing our inclusion dial framework. Yeah. So authenticity is co-produced. There's uh, an essential part of that that equation that other people can, must, should be doing to create authentic spaces where people can show up as their multidimensional selves. Mm -hmm. Yes. The other side of the equation is what can I do as an individual to show up more fully as myself in environments where it's safe to do so? Yeah. And I am confident say I've been experimenting with this for decades (laughs) on myself I think where it starts is in what a bucket that I sometimes call authenticity hacks or authenticity boosters. Yeah. So what are the things that remind me of my multi-layered, multi-dimensional self? And I have tried lots of things, Everything. as you know. <laughs> um, I have sometimes brought our son's Lego pieces and put them in my pocket. I
2: ha-
1: love to-, to, to remind <laughs> you
2: of your evening
1: valet, work. <laughs> just, just to, yeah, yeah, just to remind yeah. me of that version of myself, which is very authentic. You bring out a very authentic version of me, which is part of why I love uh, the work we get to do together. Because when I am standing next to you, I'm far less likely to wobble on authenticity than when I'm not. And I think for authenticity wobbles, you too must partner up (laughs) and have an opportunity to partner up um, and surround yourself with people who remind you of who you are and build a team yeah. you know, and meet with that team regularly and make sure that they are as comfortable with your audacity as they are with your insecurity or as comfortable with your insecurity as they are with your audacity.
2: Yeah. You know, when you said surround yourself with people who like remind you of, of who you are, I also think it helps to just hang out with people that are they themselves are very authentic. Totally.
1: I mean, we talk about empathy being infectious. Emotions in general are infectious. Uh, Authenticity is very infectious as well.
2: Yeah. It's why we don't just do this work and have people know their wobbles. The reason we want people to know their anchors is that's where you can go proactively be helpful, right? Exactly.
1: If I'm listening to this conversation, how do I go about figuring
2: out self diagnostic? Yeah. Yeah, it's a great question. So here's what I would say think back to the most recent time when you had a skeptic and assume it was your fault. What did the skeptic doubt about you? Did they doubt that it was the real you? Do they think you were trying to be someone you're not? Did they doubt that your intentions included them? Did they doubt that you had a good idea? (laughs) Right. And that is authenticity, empathy, or logic. So whichever one that is, identify that as a wobble. And if it's not perfect, it'll be your first draft. We find that eight out of 10 people have an accurate initial diagnosis. Um, So which is the one that tends to get in the way? And here I just want to let listeners know I'm an empathy wobble, but I definitely, my empathy is on display the vast majority of the time. These are only for the rare instances when I lose trust. So it's not that I don't, all of us have all three. Right, 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 It's just which is the one that gets in the way. And then I think it's important to do a self-diagnostic first, and then go ask someone who knows you and loves you. And just believe them, because we are revealing who we are all day, every day, to everyone else, and occasionally to ourselves.
1: Yeah. That's great. And most of us are building trust most of the time. It's one of the great advantages of our species. And we're really talking about those rare moments where you have lost trust. And then, I mean, a central question of the work
2: we do is how do you rebuild trust quickly, which is what we're going to do now. And a central additional public service announcement is trust can be rebuilt quickly. So there's a lot of myths out there that once you break it, you can never rebuild it. And I just want to go on the record and say nonsense.
1: (laughs) Right. I mean, we see it every single day. Every single day. At the individual level, the team level. Yeah.
4: Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card.
0: With Schwab Investing Themes, it's easy to invest in ideas you believe in, like artificial intelligence, big data, robotic revolution, and more. Choose from over 40 themes. Buy as is or customize the stocks in a theme to fit your goals. Learn more at schwab.com slash thematic investing.
1: So, Francis, uh, to close this out, I want to circle back
2: to our Uber story. You spent a year there, give or take. What was different by the end? Oh, everything. So the the headlines that we saw in the newspaper, they had stopped by then. Everyone just was brought together. And by the way, when I arrived, I'll round it off to everyone was embarrassed to work there. And that embarrassment manifested and people didn't were less likely to go out to parties. They would self-report because they didn't want to have to defend Uber at the parties. People didn't admit to their Uber drivers that they worked at Uber. And people wouldn't wear... Uber t-shirts and carry around Uber loot. And so when I got there, I said, look, I see the future and I am, I'm so optimistic about it. So I'm going to wear an Uber t-shirt every day until everyone else in the organization feels comfortable wearing their Uber t-shirt again. Um, And so Lots of uber swag (laughs) was there. Uh, People were going to parties. They were admitting that they went there and they were also thriving in just magnificent, magnificent ways. So remember that the company's problem was an empathy wobble. We had diagnosed that when we arrived and that created a huge breakdown in trust between the company and a variety of stakeholders that got fixed one by one with each of these stakeholders for drivers, we took their suggestions seriously and we added tipping. We changed the last drive of the day. We had numbers that they could call where they could get service in three minutes, not three hours, not 30 or days, three weeks or yeah. three weeks. <laughs> For employees, we made sure that managers were trained and that in particular for female employees, we made sure that they were cared for so that if you had a problem, there was a trusted third source that you could go to. And if you didn't feel like your manager was the right person, we had alternatives that you could go to. And we had an increase of people who came and talked to us about their problems. Whereas before, oh my goodness, you had a problem, you went to your manager, it was handled horribly, and then you just felt silenced and shut down. For regulators, we made sure that they were being collaborated with. Not, We weren't competing with them. We weren't antagonizing them. We weren't running over them. But we were talking with them about what we were trying to accomplish and what their needs were. And we co-produced solutions. And I'll say what happened, really what happened after a year? I became obsolete. Which is our
1: favorite metric
2: of success. It is indeed. Awesome. So here's a closing
1: reflection. We'll invite Our listeners to think about is what can you start doing tomorrow to build more trust with the people in your lives, your kids, your customers, your colleagues? What's one action you can take based on this conversation? And thanks for listening today. We want to hear from you too. If you want to figure out a workplace problem together, send us a message, email us at fixable at ted.com or call us at 234-FIXABLE. That's 234-349-2253.
2: Is brought to you by the TED Audio Collective. It's hosted by me, Francis Fry. And
1: me, Ann Morris. Our team includes Isabel Carter, Constanza Gallardo, Lydia Jean Cott, Sarah Nix, Michelle Quint, Corey Hagem Alejandra Salazar, Banban Ban Chang, and Roxanne Highlash. Ben Cheno is our mix engineer. If you're enjoying the show, make sure
2: to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.
1: And tell a friend to check us out. And one more thing. If you can, please take a second to leave us a review. It really helps us make a great show.
2: And it totally helps the search algorithm.